Scotty and Hannah and Vicky and uh, Don and Sharon and I, a few weeks ago, we, we had the privilege of going out to California for a church planting conference called Exponential. And it was really an awesome experience. And so we just wanted to take uh, this time where we normally would have a sermon just to share with you some of the things that God laid on our hearts and some of the things that we'll remember and some of the things that we learned. So I'm going to have you guys come up now. And uh, they're going to share with you. We're, we're all going to share just a little bit with you. Okay. I think we'll start with uh, Vicky. How does that sound? <laughs> I do not like speaking. You would think I would because I'm a very talkative person and outgoing, I guess. But I don't know. Sometimes I feel like when I talk, I kind of ramble and... It doesn't always express what I'm really thinking or feeling, so I'll do my best. But So I guess Dave didn't really explain a whole lot, but um, so we went on this um, conference. Oh, there's, there's going to be pictures behind us. Okay. Um, we went to this conference called Exponential, and it's about church planning, and it was huge. I couldn't believe how many people were there. I thought it would just be like a couple hundred. You know, I wasn't really sure what to expect, but there was like thousands of people, I want to say. Maybe a thousand? Um, and it was at this beautiful church. Huge. It was like, it reminded me of a college campus almost like. And um, it was just beautiful. So we were in California at this beautiful church and um, we just really had an amazing time. This is something that Dave has never experienced before, to go somewhere for a conference for pastors and leadership training and developing. And so for me to be part of that, I just felt like it was such a beneficial thing to be there with him, to experience um, this journey together. Instead of him going and him coming back and just telling me everything that he did, I was part of it. I was part of the classes, part of the workshop, um, and it was just really great and they had lots of things geared towards women and women leadership and families and moms and so it just wasn't just for men or for pastors it was for me as well and so it was really exciting to be able to choose and pick things that I thought would be beneficial for myself and for our church Um, and I'm not saying anything that I wrote down here (laughs) so anyway so I felt like that it was um really great to be part with my husband, that I was challenged alongside with him. Um, we would, after our, we would get together, we would come back together and we congregate together and we would just all share about what we learned and all the different things. And it was just really exciting to hear what, um, Hannah had learned and what she, um, brought, got out of this seminar and what Scotty did at this small groups one. And Dave went to this one and how, how great that one was. And everyone just was like, this is great. This is so good. It wasn't just like, okay, this was really good. It was meaty. It was informational. It was, um, gave us lots of, um, statistics and ideas and it was just really, um, inspiring. And, um, so I thought, I feel like it was really beneficial to our marriage to be able to experience this together. It was great. Um, I don't know why I'm crying. It's the nerves. Um, they had different speakers that would, um, we would go to these large group things together where there were speakers, and um, they were phenomenal. I mean, these men were from around the world, from different countries, people from the United States. We had old, wise men that were, like, 
planting churches like crazy, and then we had young men who were in the midst of it who were um, planting churches. And it was just really, um, I mean, it was really great. Uh, let's see, what else? Um, some of the things that I went to, because I think it's nice to know, like, what workshops I went to. Am I talking too long? Okay. Um, I went to uh, women in ministry, specifically being a pastor's wife or a leader. Um, they had a woman who just came, and she's uh, in biblical counseling. She's a pastor of a wife, and she just shared her life experience and kind of gave us um, words of encouragement as someone who is a wife of a pastor. Um, I went to raising up female leaders and how women are, um, how women can be empowered in leadership and using their gifts um, to um, be utilized in the church. And I went to understanding young families. I have a, I feel like I have a passion for young families. I have a young family, so I went to that. It was something that was really informational and about how where young families are right now and why they're not coming to church or where, why they're so um, inconsistent or, you know, what, what can we do to reach those families and pull them in? That was very um, informational, and I felt like I walked away with a lot of really good ideas. Um, I also went to discipling young families, how we can disciple young families. They really focused on discipleship, which I think was really neat that the, um, their main central theme was discipleship and everything kind of pretty much revolved around that in each workshop discipleship was very important because that is how we um, spread the gospel is by discipling one another Um, I also went to keeping the fun factor in your marriage this couple they had been married for several years they were pastor of the church that they um, that we were at and they were very um, fun and they gave lots of tips and tools to keeping the fun in your marriage as they were um, pastor and wife. Um, so that was really great to hear from someone, you know, beyond where I'm at right now and kind of bringing you back into keeping the fun in your marriage and keeping things in perspective. And so I felt like all these workshops were very useful and practical. Practical. Uh, I felt like we were spurred on for um, ideas and um, just encouraged. It was just a very encouraging weekend or week. And, you know, we really didn't get a whole lot of downtime. We were there from, you know, nine in the morning till five thirty, And, you know, the day just went really quick. And it was, I was a little worried because I'm not one to sit and study and have a school like, um, thing. That's just not my thing. But I really, really enjoyed these workshops. They did so much um, with just bringing us all together and individually that I felt like the day just went so fast. We only had one day that we actually went to the beach and like got to see the water and stuff like that. So I'll stop. So Vicki shared kind of more of an overall, I'm going to talk just about one of the workshops that I went to. Um, so one of the main things that I came away with from this workshop, the, the leaders that were teaching it talked about the importance of casting vision. 
And so as a ministry leader, whether it's as the pastor of an entire church like Dave and Scott, or whether it's just of a specific ministry, and so for me that would be children's ministry, but whether it's worship ministry or whether you're working with high school students or with setup team, um, the importance of ministry leaders casting a vision for the people who are serving within that ministry um, and reminding them of the vision for that ministry, which lines up with the greater vision of the church. So the vision of Cross Point Church, in case you forgot, is that we are on the move to redeem people, families, and neighborhoods with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that in the context of the conference and how we talked about discipleship, I realized that our vision and our mission statement is the definition of discipleship. It's exactly what Jesus commissioned us to do when he went back to heaven to be with his father after his time here on earth. And it's the point of everything that we do. One of the main session speakers pointed out that contrary to what we popularly believe about discipleship, it's not so much about making good Christians better Christians. It's about making lost people saved. And part of how we do that is by discipling believers and teaching and growing them so that they can go out and make disciples. That's the point. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. And that's our vision at Crosspoint. So if that's the vision for Crosspoint as a whole, then that's the mission that we and the vision that we carry into each of the different ministries that we have within the church. And as one of the ministry leaders, I'm responsible going. Um, I'm responsible to be communicating that to people who are serving within a ministry that I'm leading. And I also need to be reminding myself of that all the time. Nope. There we go. (laughs) Because it's so easy to get caught up in the logistics and just to kind of forget the greater purpose of why we're here when we come every Sunday and we set up or we work in the children's ministry. Um, But it's so important to keep in mind the greater purpose and to be communicating that and reminding each other, too. It's not just my responsibility. It's all of our responsibilities. And so, you know, an example of how that plays out, when you come on Sunday morning and you're serving in children's ministry, for example, and you're holding those babies in the nursery, that's important and there's value in that. But you're a part of something so much bigger because their parents get to sit in the service undistracted and get equipped to go out and make disciples of Jesus. And when you're teaching NCP Tots or NCP Kids, I'm going to cry. You're planting seeds or you're watering seeds so that those kids can go out in their schools and in their neighborhoods and they make disciples of Jesus who go out. Just like in Operation Christmas Child, they talked about those kids and they go out and they change the world. That's what you're a part of. And it's true in all of our ministries, whether it's easy to see it or not. If you're in setup ministry, it might be harder to see it. But we wouldn't have ministries in this church if they were not somehow connected to that vision. And so that's, that's what I came away with. Um, the biggest thing for me from the conference was the importance of remembering that and of continuously reminding each other and reminding myself of the greater purpose of why we're here. It's for discipleship, to make disciples of Jesus, to make lost people saved.
I hope I don't cry. Just... <laughs> if anyone was going to cry up here, it would have been Hannah. So, so, um, so I'll do a different style yet again. I'm, I'm liking this because we're all doing different things. And the great thing is, since Dave's going last, that means his toes are most likely to be stepped on in whatever he was going to share. So this works out great. Um, when this, when the um, when the conference started, they had several speakers, and there was this one named Ying Kai. And he was probably about, he's in his late 60s, early 70s. I believe he was Korean. Not quite sure, but no, no, no. He might have been Chinese or Bing. But so he, um, this older Asian gentleman comes up to share, and he had, the great thing about this conference is each of these speakers would have like these little punchy little quotes that you'd always remember and would stick with you. And he said this thing. And he says, Jesus says go. Like Hannah shared our, our vision statement of, of we are on the move. And our vision statement is just really taking Matthew twenty eight nineteen, the call of Jesus, the Great Commission, and putting that into a language that we can identify with. And so Yin Kai spoke into that and he said, Jesus says go, and yet we always say come. Jesus says go, and we always say come. We always go and invite. We always, we always take this kind of pattern of not necessarily offensive, but of defensive posture towards reaching people. And he said that, and then he reminded everybody. He says, the problem is, though, that they, they're lost. They are lost, and they don't even know where the door is. So how are they going to come? How are they going to get in when they don't know where the door is? And so with that statement, I, was, I just started thinking the whole conference over a healthy decision or a healthy definition of what it means to both go and what it means specifically the next step where we say to redeem, which is where we go and we make disciples. What would that definition be? And Yin Kai again reminded us, you know, what you have to do is you have to teach people to be able to teach, teach people to be able to pass on what they have learned. So as I was going to each session, it became increasingly clear that, you know, I, in everything I do, in my preaching, in my one-on-ones, my discipleship, in the small groups, and in cross-point kids with the youth group, um, through everything I did, the definition of discipleship and what my purpose was for each and everybody in there would have to be clear. And so I started thinking through a definition just whenever I had spare time as I was working. And then I went to this one class, and it was with this, this gentleman named Hugh Halter. Now, Hugh Halter is – I like going to um, authors that are going to, like, convict me slash – be more controversial. Not going to agree with everything they say. They're going to cause me to re-examine some things. And Hugh Halter definitely falls into that definition. He's a little bit more than I would ever do as a pastor, but he, um, he said this, he made this statement, and he said, could our definition of a disciple or discipleship be the definition of a Pharisee? Could what we decide, you know, this is our definition of what we want in a disciple, would that be closer to the definition of what Jesus wants in a disciple? Or is it closer to the problem of the Pharisees when Jesus was here on earth? And that really struck me to the core. And so I started thinking of a simple definition. Thankfully, all these, all these classes gave me various definitions, various working ones. 
and really confronted that. And the simplest was essentially teaching the people who follow Christ to look more like Christ, to actually follow him, to be growing into him. And they had different ways of saying that, like, but, but they all centered around that. How are we growing people to live as Christ in this world, which was a very Ephesians chapter 4 perspective. So not, as, not to get into as many details, I'll simply share what I first did as soon as that I had that idea. And the first thing we did, we came back on Friday, Thursday, Thursday, excuse me. We were back Friday morning. We got back Friday and on Sunday I was teaching CP Kids. And so I went into CP Kids with a purpose. And my purpose was, what do these kids think we have CP Kids for? What do these kindergartners through fifth graders think our purpose here is? And let's ask them. Let's just find out. So I went to the kids. I'm like, why do we have CP Kids? And I got all these hands up. And the first one said it perfectly, we are here so we would know the Bible and understand God and understand what the Bible teaches about Jesus. I'm like, fantastic. That's a great first answer. This is wonderful. This is going great. Then the second kid raised their hand and said, we have CP Kids because the big session is boring. And I was like, oh, okay, yes, we, um, we understand your children. And that like let a little tidal wave out of like, our songs are better, or something like, and we get to do dance moves. I'm like, yeah, we get to do that. That's not the reason we have CP Kids. We don't have CP Kids so I can teach you new dance moves and talk about how to do the robot. That's not one of the reasons. But let's go back to this knowing the Bible. And then I said that, but I said we have one second purpose. And that's, we're here because we are making you disciples, We're not here just to make you believe. We're not here just so that you can pray a prayer one day and say, you know, I've come to trust in Jesus. We are here to make you disciples of Jesus Christ. So I asked the kids, I said, so kids, what does it mean to be a disciple? And they all shot their hand up. And I'm like, oh, this is excellent. These kids are all going to answer what it means to be a disciple. So I called them the first one. And um, she said, oh, um... I just wanted to raise my hand. I didn't want to answer the question. And then the second one I called on looked at me, and they said the perfect answer. Being a disciple is becoming more like Jesus. This is one of our kindergartners. So I I congratulated the parents later for doing such a good job discipling their child. But that was I just left them with two purposes. We are here to teach you about who Jesus is, through the Bible, through the whole Bible, so that when you, as you grow up, you can always go to the Word of God and know who Christ is. And number two, we are here to make you disciples. That's why you're here every week. We're not here just so you have a blast. We're not here so you just sing a bunch of different songs. We are here to make you disciples. And like Hannah was saying, having that mentality, having that object has been, I think, will be transformative for our kids and reminding each other of that day by day that we're not just here to entertain the kids. We're not just here to entertain you when the worship team is out here. We are here to set a context, to set a frame of mind that we are worshiping the God who is sovereign over all things and is calling you to live a life that reflects him and grows more into Jesus Christ.
Thank you for sharing, all of you. How's everybody doing? Hanging in there? All right. I know it's warm. All right. Stick with me. One more share time. I'm not going to go long. Um, so I want to thank you um, for sharing such diverse uh, memories from the conference, all of you guys. I really appreciate what each one of you guys said. And I want to talk to you for a few minutes about something a little different, uh, and that is church planting. I'm going to talk with you about church planting, which has everything to do with our vision, it has everything to do with why we're here, it has everything to do with discipleship. And God has really been um, speaking to me in some unique ways lately. At, at Before the conference, before like the week leading up to the conference, Vicky and I, God had laid it on our heart to give uh, $500 to a family. And it's a family that had some unique needs. And um, he'd kind of put it on both of our hearts. And we didn't really know at the time. You know, we, we, had money, we had money to give, but it was money that was sort of like I was planning on using that money to put new tires on my truck this winter because I knew I needed tires and stuff like that. And, but we gave this money... And then we went on the conference, and uh, during the conference, I had actually given one of my friends the keys to my truck. He'd asked me if he could use my truck during the conference, and I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't know what he wanted to use it for or whatever. We got back from the conference, and I went outside the next morning, that Friday morning, and I noticed there were new tires on my truck. He had just put new tires on my truck. And they're, they're, they're nice tires, like nicer than I would have even put on. And I was like blown away by that. And he also gave me a six-pack of beer. That was just from him. That wasn't from God, probably. But the tires were definitely from God. And he told me that. He said, I want you to know, those tires are from me. Or, I mean, the tires are from God. He laid it on my heart to put new tires on your truck, and I just wanted to do that for you. The beer's from me. Enjoy that, too. And it was such a blessing to me. And um, I just wasn't expecting that. And then the next week, another friend of mine asked to get together, and we got together, and he gives me $500. He just gives me $500. God, God has laid it on my heart to give you $500. And I was like, what? God, what are you doing here? Why? You know, and I, and it just, and I was just kind of wrestling with that, and why does, why does God move that way? And I was really blessed by it, of course. Vicki and I were. And it just... It just made me think, wow, God, you know, I don't deserve these good gifts. And yet, this is just what you do. This is just who God is, you know. And God doesn't always, I don't expect that. When I give, when I give a gift to somebody, I don't ever expect to get it back. I don't ever expect anything in return. And that's okay. And a lot of times, I don't get anything back. But I felt like it was just God reminding me in a very tangible way. That when you give, I give. And you'll never outgive me, ever. And, and then I had lunch with someone on Friday. And this was actually someone, you know, who goes to our church and, you know, we're getting to know each other. And we're talking about um, some of his struggles and my struggles. And, and, we're, and he's real, this is a guy who's just kind of wrestling with um, life in the business world. And trying to get ahead. There's a guy who's got his own business and he's trying to grow it. And it is growing and it's consuming a lot of his time and energy. And um, 
we started talking about how God's kingdom is different than the world's kingdom. And this is the way that he described the world's kingdom. I didn't say, I mean, this, and I totally agree with him. He said, in the world's economy, you get ahead by winning. You get ahead by getting and taking and gathering and keeping. And you always have to get more and more and more and keep and find a way to keep it and then get more. That's how you, that's how you win in the world. That's how you get ahead. That's how you succeed. It's always by getting and taking and, and keeping. But in God's economy, you get ahead by giving away more and more and more. You always get ahead by giving. That's how God works. And that's how life in his kingdom is. It's just how it is. God's kingdom grows and multiplies when his people give away their best. Wouldn't you agree? I, I think that's how it works. In fact, in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 36, I shared this with you last week when we were talking about comfort. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whatever, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So following Jesus, which we call discipleship, following Jesus, can be described as gaining by losing. That's how it can be described. In John twelve twenty four, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So there's this kingdom concept again. If you want to see God's kingdom grow and expand and multiply in your life, you have to sow seeds. You have to spread yourself out. You have to invest in people. You have to invest. You have to give away your best. You have to be willing to give away your best. That's what life in God's kingdom is about. So, for, for, so when we talk about multiplying, and that's what the whole theme of this conference was, what we're talking about is multiplying disciples of Jesus, giving ourselves away, you know, risking big things on God. That's what it's about. So that God can fill the earth with disciples and churches. That's what multiplication has always been about for God, from God's point of view. It's always about filling the earth with disciples and churches. So in the very beginning of time, when, when Adam and Eve were created, way back in Genesis chapter 3, God gives Adam and Eve this command. He says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He actually gave that command in Genesis chapter 1. He repeated that command to Noah. After Noah had landed uh, safely on Mount Ararat after the flood and with his family, God said it again, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Then God basically gave that command to Abram when he sent Abram out to be a blessing and go to the nations. That's what he was telling Abraham to do. Grow, multiply, fill the earth. He said the same thing later to Jacob and then to the nation of Israel before they entered Egypt. And then again before they entered the promised land. Then again when they were captives in Babylon. In, in Isaiah chapter, or, uh, Jeremiah 29 when God told the Israelites to go into the city, fill the city, multiply, Seek the welfare of the city. I mean, we hear this command over and over in the Old Testament. And then when Jesus comes, 
Jesus comes, he lives his life in obedience to God, he dies on the cross for the sin of the world, he rises again, and then right before he ascends into heaven, he, he's with his disciples, and what does he issue as a command? His final words to his disciples are to go and make disciples. In other words, go, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. That's basically what, he's, what Jesus is saying, isn't he? Again, fill the earth, with disciples and churches. That's what they did. That's what the disciples did. In the book of Acts, that's what they do. They go out from Jerusalem. Or they, 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 spread, they spread seeds. They preach the gospel. They make disciples of Jesus. They plant churches. Then they go outside of Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the Roman Empire, filling the earth with disciples and churches. That's what multiplication is be fruitful and multiply is a command that comes from God's heart and God's desire to fill the earth with disciples of Jesus and churches who are multiplying. So that's, I just wanted to remind you this morning, that's our goal at Cross Point Church. That's our goal. When we say we're on the move to redeem people, uh, families, neighborhoods with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're talking about movement. We're talking about multiplication. That's one of our four core values. We're talking about filling the earth with disciples and churches. Churches. And the reason is because if you, you know, sometimes we wonder, well, how does God actually reach people who are lost? How does God rescue people who are far from him? How does he do that? How does he redeem people? He does it through us. He does it through very ordinary people who he sends to others who are far from him to love them, to share the truth with them, to tell them the truth, to, give, to share with them the, the hope that we have. This good news that Jesus Christ has been sent from God to take our place on the cross, to give us peace with God, to change our whole lives from the inside out, to change all of our relationships, all of our habits, the way we work, the way we play, the way we live, that's the good news. And that's, that means that we're sent because God is ascending God. He's always been sending people out to other people. That's just what God does. He sends us. He sent his only son to rescue us. And then Jesus says in John 20, he says, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. And so what this means for us as Cross Point Church is that multiplication is not about filling our auditorium or cafeteria with people. I mean, that, that's great if we do that, but it has more to do with filling the earth with disciples and churches. And one speaker at the conference who really made an impact on me, he put it this way, Jesus measures the strength of your church not by your seating capacity, but by your sending capacity. By your sending capacity. And that was pretty much my big takeaway from the conference. Could you put up the next slide? Or the one before it, sorry, the one before it. Yeah, that. Like the picture on the left, that's how a lot of people view the church. It's somewhere we go. It's somewhere we go and we sit and we stand and we praise and we sit and then we stand and we sit and we stand. And, you know, we, we meet people, we're challenged, we're inspired, we learn, we grow. And then we just go home and go about our lives. But the church, the right picture of the church, 
is the one on the right. The church is about gathering. There is a gathering, and there is a praising, and there is a learning, and there, that's all important. But ultimately, the church exists to go because we're sent by God to make disciples. That's why we exist. That's who we are. It's not about where we meet. It's not about the building. It's not about being comfortable. It's about being sent. It's about making more disciples and planting more churches. And so my big takeaway from the conference is that we need to be talking about planting churches. And that's something we haven't talked about very much because we have planted it. I mean, basically, Cross Point Church is more, it's more or less a church plant, isn't it? I mean, a year and a half ago, we came here. We sort of transplanted one church into another location, but it really feels like a church plant. That's pretty much what, what we are. We're a young church plant. We're about two years old. And because we've been focused on this new location and the new people that God is bringing, bringing into our lives and the new people God is sending us to, we haven't talked much about church planting. But it's time to talk about that again. It's time for us to start thinking and dreaming and wanting to do what God is doing in the world. And that is planting churches. And, and you might be wondering, can God use a church of our size with our limited resources to do that? I would like to share some statistics with you that may or may not encourage you. But some of these were shared with us at the, at the conference. And I like statistics, and so some of you might not enjoy this too much. But they're very informative. They tell us what's really going on. So here's some, here's some of what's going on with regard to the church. Around 80% of churches in the United States are plateaued or in decline. 20% of churches are actually growing. 16% of all churches of all evangelical Protestant churches, are adding members but not multiplying. They're not reproducing themselves. They're not planting churches. That means that less than 5% of churches are actually planting churches. Okay? Less than 10% of churches in the United States have planted a new church in the last five years. Over 4,000 new churches are planted every year in the United States. But 3,700 churches close their doors every year in the United States. Some people think, aren't there already enough churches in this city, in this state, in the world? In the Midwest, there's about one church for every 2,000 people. The population in the United States is currently growing eight times faster than the growth of new churches. Less than 18% of Americans attend church on a regular basis. Over 75% of the population, of the American population, has already decided they're never going back to church. There's nothing in their natural rhythm of life that would lead them to a church. Nothing. They don't even think about it. It's not even on their radar. It's not who they are. So we can put on any number of events and, and, out, and you know, things like that and invite them to church. And you, if you invite them enough, they might come. But more often than not, people are saying, no, it's just not who I am. And the bottom line is, they're not coming, so we need to go to them. That's the point. We need to go to them. 68% of church plants are still open after four years, because church planting is hard. Of those churches, the vast majority are still under 100 people. However, new churches or church plants are seeing four times as many people come to faith in Christ and be baptized each year than established churches, and church plants are far more effective in reaching unchurched people 
than established churches. Churches that plant churches grow on average three times faster than churches who don't. A more recent study of churches in America by Ed Stetzer of Lifeway Ministries revealed that churches of 200 or less are four times more likely to plant a church than churches of a thousand or more. And the research even indicated that the pattern continues. The smaller the size of the church, the more fertile they are in planting churches. Dave Ferguson, who puts on, he's the president of the whole exponential conference. He said that the tension between, there's this tension between growing, like adding attendance, and sending. There's a tension there. Because anytime you send people out to start a new church, your attendance goes down. You lose some of your best people to do that. That's why a lot of churches aren't doing it. And he talks about that. He says most, a lot of churches are focused more on growing their attendance than equipping and sending their people for ministry. It's difficult to find balance between the two. And his conclusion is, unfortunately, most churches adopt a, quote, we will send after we grow and have the resources approach. And that is one of the main obstacles to churches multiplying. I actually attended a workshop during the conference put on by two pastors. One of them has a church about exactly the same size as ours, about 150 people. The other guy's church is about 50 people. The church of 150 has planted five churches in the last three years. And one of those churches is bigger than theirs now. And they've been planting churches for years and years and years. It's just who they are. It's what they value. It's part of their culture. It's what they talk about. It's where they're always targeting. It's like, this is why God has placed us here. And they're in San Francisco. I mean, San Francisco is not what most people would say a fertile ground for the gospel. As far, I mean, it is, of course, but a lot of people are not open to it. Okay? It's a very progressive culture. And yet, God is multiplying the church like crazy in San Francisco. Can he do it here? Through a church our size? Absolutely. And I believe that's what God wants to do. So for us, what that means, and, and I apologize you know, for, for how much time we've taken this morning to explain all this, but for us as a church, this is really important. Because it means we have to, we have to make leadership development a real big priority. Because you can't, you don't need a ton of resources or money necessarily to plant churches. What you do need are people. You need people who are willing to go, people who are ready and equipped to go, people who are prepared to go, people who are willing to risk, people who are willing to lose something, people who are willing to do something really hard so that God can make more disciples. That's, what, that's who we need at this church. And I believe God has already placed enough people here who are willing to go and do something like that. And it's up to us as a church to do it. And so as I think about our, you know, our church and how we do things as a church and how things get done here, I feel like there's kind of a four-step process. First, we think about it. Then we kind of dream about it and we imagine what it could be like. Then we actually get to a place where we really want it to happen. And then we do it. Isn't that kind of how it happens? It's kind of those four things. We think about it, we dream about it, we want it, and then we do it. And then sometimes we do it again and again and again, and it just, it just grows. And I think as far as this is concerned, church planting, 
We're probably somewhere in between the thinking and dreaming stage. You know, we haven't been thinking about it a lot over the last couple of years. We haven't been talking about it much. We haven't been dreaming about it. And, we, and, and so for me, I feel like I just want to ask you this morning, will you start thinking and dreaming about this with me? About what it would be like for a small church like ours to plant a lot of churches in southeast Wisconsin. I'm not saying we're going to do it on our own. For us, it might mean leaning on some other churches. It might mean networking with other small churches or large churches so that God can do some things that we couldn't do on our own. It's happening. We just haven't been participating. And so I want to invite you to participate. I want to invite you to start thinking about this with us as a leadership team, to start praying about this with us as a leadership team, to start dreaming about this at, dreaming about this with us as a leadership team. And I am so excited for what God can do through a small church like us. And again, it's not about the the seating capacity. That's not what this is about at all. It's about sending. It's about multiplying. That's who we are. That's what God's called us to do. That's all I have to say. Would you please join me in prayer? God, thank you for your grace and mercy. I thank you so much for this church, that, um, the, the privilege that we had to go to this conference a few weeks ago and all that we learned and how we were challenged and inspired. And sometimes it's difficult to convey some of the things that you've put on our heart, but I pray, Lord, that our passion for your, for your mission to make disciples and to plant churches would become contagious here at Cross Point Church. I pray that you would light and fan to flame a fire in us to see more and more disciples filling the earth, planting churches, growing your kingdom. I pray that you would use us, God, a small church with uh, somewhat limited resources, Lord, that you would use, uh, use us to do things beyond our wildest dreams and imagination. You've said in your word, Lord, that you will do far more than we could possibly ask or imagine. So I ask you this morning that you would take us, Cross Point Church, and that you would multiply us. I pray that you would make more and more disciples through us. I pray that you would plant more and more churches through us, through our giving, through our losing, through our faith, that you would do great and mighty things, that you would bring more and more people into a life-giving relationship with you through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.